0: End.
1: Welcome to Mass Ave. Um, this week is apparently Women's Health Week, and so we've had Planned Parenthood coming out saying why it's so crucial for taxpayer dollars to continue to go to the organization. Um, fortunately, we have Melanie Israel here. She's been looking closely at Planned Parenthood funding, and she can kind of give us an idea of what Planned Parenthood does and doesn't do. So, uh, Melanie, what? Give us an overview.
2: Sure. So, first of all, we have to be very, very clear that Planned Parenthood is the face of the abortion industry. Um, When you think of abortion, your mind immediately goes to Planned Parenthood, the two go hand in hand. And so that's what so much of the conversation about defunding Planned Parenthood has been focused on, has been the organization's abortion work. So that's definitely something that we're hearing a lot about here during Women's Health Week.
3: It was reported in the in the recent funding bill that uh, Planned Parenthood was continued to be funded at current levels. Uh, could you expand upon that a little bit?
2: Sure, sure. So, of course, ultimately, the way to defund Planned Parenthood is to pass a bill like the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act, which would say no tax dollars are going to go to the abortion industry. Um, Right now, the law says that tax dollars can't directly pay for abortion, um, most abortions, I should say, thanks to what's called the Hyde Amendment. And so Planned Parenthood often points to that as a reason for it to keep its funding by saying that your tax dollars aren't directly funding abortion. They're funding other services that Planned Parenthood provides. And of course, that argument really doesn't hold water. Money is fungible. So any money that Planned Parenthood is getting is helping to prop up all of its services, whether it's directly or indirectly. So unfortunately, once again, government funding bill provides for money for Planned Parenthood. Um, Congress would have to pass the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act to ensure that that can't happen anymore.
1: Okay, and uh, with the bill that was recently passed out of the House, um, the AHCA, what's the state of play with, with Planned Parenthood funding there? I remember reading that it defunded it, but Temporarily, or
2: what's going right, on? Right, right. So that that's one of the reasons I always try to reiterate that ultimately, to solve this issue, you have to pass the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act mm-hmm. to take care of it once and for all. The reconciliation bill unfortunately, they're kind of limited to how much that they can do within the procedural constraints of what goes into reconciliation. So they've done um, what they're able to do, which is have a one-year moratorium on most funding (laughs) going to Planned Parenthood. Um, That's one of the other issues that we see is that they get money from so many different avenues. Um, They get money from Title X grants. They get money through grants from the Department of Justice or through um, their international arm with foreign aid. The bulk of their federal funding comes from Medicaid reimbursements that makes up about half a billion dollars of their funding. So, of course, that's most of it, which is what the reconciliation bill addresses for one year. Um, And again, that's the most that they're really able to do within the procedural constraints. Um, We've been hearing from lawmakers saying that the Planned Parenthood provision will be part of the bill. We know that it can go to the president's desk um, the reconciliation bill back in 2015 that was vetoed by President Obama included that Planned Parenthood provision. So we know it's um, it's doable this time around. It's been done before. And so it remains to be seen if lawmakers will stand firm and do what they did last time around.
3: It, it, from what I'm hearing from you, it seems like the funding is pretty deeply entrenched through several different avenues in Washington. Um, is, so is Planned Parenthood or defunding Planned Parenthood for that matter, is, is it actually achievable? Is it something that we'll see within the Trump presidency or within this Congress even?
2: You know, I, I think Congress has never been this close before. Um, and yes, it is a one-year moratorium, but I think that when you have these incremental steps, you're able to, you know, if this reconciliation bill includes the provision and it's enacted into law, of course, that'll mean we have a more pro-life health care um, insurance system, which that in and of itself is a win, um, but also being able to demonstrate during this potential one-year moratorium that you can fund women's health without funding Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is not the end-all, be-all of um, what it means when we're talking about women's health. So that could be provide right there a year's worth of um, evidence that women don't need Planned Parenthood to be able to live healthy lives.
1: And really quickly, you mentioned, uh, you know, the component of foreign aid. I know that there's been some news about Trump expanding the Mexico City policy. Would that have any impact on
2: um, Planned Parenthood or what What does this say to you? It might. It might. And this is breaking news coming out today. Um, Word is coming out that President Trump is going to be detailing the expanded Mexico City policy. That's something that he reinstated back in January. The Mexico City is a longstanding policy that's been pretty much a political football, depending on if a Democrat Mm -hmm. or Republican is in office. And basically what the policy does is it says that U.S. tax dollars don't go to organizations that perform or promote abortions. Overseas. And so traditionally, that money has, um, the policy has dealt with money that flows through USAID and the State Department. The Trump administration today is indicating that that policy is going to apply to additional funding sources, such as Department of Defense. So we're talking about billions of dollars of um, money that the U.S. sends overseas that's going to be subject to the pro-life Mexico City policy. So that's something that's going to um, definitely have an impact on the International Planned Parenthood Federation and a lot of these other pro-abortion overseas organizations. All right, well,
1: it will be interesting to see how this plays out in the coming months. Thanks so much for joining us, Melanie. We'll be right back. Did you know you can now listen to all of our events through SoundCloud or just by visiting our events page on heritage.org? You now have access to hundreds of events and compelling discussions on policy issues from your car, on the train, or the comfort of your own home. Visit heritage.org slash events for more information or search for the Heritage Foundation on SoundCloud.
3: Welcome back to Mass Ave. We have Niall Gardner in the studio to join us today. Uh, President Trump is embarking on his first foreign excursion. Uh, the trip is planned to take him uh, to Saudi Arabia, Israel, the Vatican, Brussels, and Sicily. Um, now, could you lay out kind of what's expected in this trip and really what the mission is with the Trump administration?
0: Uh, Yeah, clearly a very, very important trip for President uh, Trump. It's his first big overseas uh, tour, taking in uh, key parts of the Middle East and also parts of Europe as well, and also – uh, he'll be um, taking part in a in a small sort of mini summit for the NATO alliance as well. So, on many levels, this is a very very um, important uh, visit. It'll be closely scrutinised across the world for signs of the uh, future movement of the Trump administration with regard to to foreign policy. It's also um, President Trump's first real test on the world stage, and so clearly, I think the White House will want to project the image of a of a statesman, someone who's in command and control. Of the situation. Um, it's significant that um, in terms of the Middle East portion of the visit, President Trump is going to two uh, very, very important US strategic partners and allies, Israel and Saudi Arabia, both countries who were, I think, to a significant degree um, ignored by the Obama administration. Both countries did not have particularly good relations with the Obama White House. President Trump is going to repair that. Uh, and in Europe, uh, President Trump will want to uh, project a message of strength and resolve uh, as a key part of the NATO alliance. He'll want to reassure NATO partners that the United States is fully committed to the alliance and that the United States will stand with the NATO alliance in the face of Russian aggression, for example. So that's going to be an extremely closely watched uh, visit to, uh, to Brussels.
1: Uh, do you see any um, like cues for what Trump's foreign policy is going to be coming out of this visit?
0: Yeah, I think uh, that you're going to see some big themes uh, emerging from this uh, visit. I think the most important theme, certainly, that the White House will want to get across uh, is that uh, President Trump cares about US allies, that if you're a friend of the United States, it really does matter to this presidency. I think there was a perception, uh, a fairly widely held perception, that uh, President Obama did not stand with America's allies, and you saw that very, very clearly, for example, with a country like Israel, and there was a very, very tense relationship between Benjamin Netanyahu and Barack Obama. Uh, I think the relationship is much warmer between um, Donald Trump and uh, Netanyahu. Um, and I think also that, um, you know, the White House will want to reassure the Saudis as well, who had a very lukewarm relationship with uh, with uh, Barack Obama as the US president. So I think a key theme here is that America stands with its allies, will uh, – uh, certainly, fight with his allies, uh, and also that uh, you know the United States is prepared to lead on the world stage, as opposed to the old mantra of leading from behind, which was uh, the term invented by an Obama official. And certainly, the era of leading from behind, I think, is over.
3: You mentioned earlier, uh, in the first question that um, this is—it's going to be highly scrutinized. Uh, Robert Gates said earlier this week, I guess last week, um, that it's important that Trump stick to the script. Um, while over there, well, what kind of script should he be following? What's what's the overall takeaway from this mission or from from this trip um, overseas?
0: Yeah, I think that uh, on a, a big overseas trip like this, um, you know, these trips are very very heavily scripted, um, and certainly I think that many uh, officials in the administration will be hoping that that uh, script is is strictly adhered to by by the president as they would for any uh, president traveling. Um, abroad. Having said that, I think that uh, President Trump, in many ways, is a very unique leader, very outspoken, and I think he will certainly have his say uh, throughout this mm-hmm. international uh, trip. Um, and uh, and I think actually that uh, you know uh, a lot of people across the world will be eagerly listening to every uh, every word that uh, President Trump has to say on this on this visit. I think the most important thing for this trip is for. Uh, the world too to recognise that you know U.S. leadership is back in place because I think the last eight years under President Obama have been a period of tremendous weakness. So it's very important for the new presidency to set a new agenda, which is based upon uh, firm U.S. strategic interests, but also upon a message that the United States really respects. Um, and stands with uh, with its allies, and that is crucially important, whether that's in the Middle East uh, or in or in Europe. Um, and I think you know the main takeaway from this this trip certainly, uh, hopefully, will be that you know the the U.S. Uh, president is a, a force to be reckoned with on the world stage, and I think that um, you know that should be the takeaway from the visit. Um, I think the countries that um, President Trump. Uh, um, will be visiting a rural countries with, uh, with a strong tie to the United States. So this should be, in my view, uh, it should be a, a successful um, a visit. Uh, and I think it's also important to, uh, to send a very clear message to European allies that the United States um, believes firmly in the transatlantic alliance. Uh, and um, and I, I would hope that on this visit that President Trump will reiterate his support for Brexit it's his first trip on European soil. Mm-hmm. Brexit is a great, great force for freedom in Europe and the world. President Trump has been a strong supporter. I hope he continues that that strong support. And also I hope he emphasizes the importance of the United States working with nation states uh, in Europe. Uh, and um, – I think that with President Obama, he placed far too much emphasis upon uh, America working with the European Union, not enough emphasis upon working with uh, key European allies. And so the focus for the new administration should be uh, NATO is critically important uh, and the US alliance with individual European countries is hugely important. But I I hope that we won't see uh, a repeat of of what President Obama has said in the past few years uh, with this, you know, um, support for uh, supranationalism or Eurofederalism, which neither of which are in America's interest.
1: All right. Well, I'm sure we will all be watching this trip closely. Thanks so much for joining us, Niall.
0: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to check us out on Facebook at Mass Ave, and we'll be back next week.